is the Starting Why Podcast. Here we ask entrepreneurs, actors, investors, innovative, and artists on the why. Why they are doing what they are doing, what motivates and drives them, and why can't they stop. We will start in five. Hey guys, this is Joe from Starting Why. And today, again, I have a very nice guest here with me. Actually, he is currently uh, located in a co-working space in Miami. Hey, Luca, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Ah, I'm doing great. Thank you. Totally my pleasure. We may tell our audience that this is not the first interview we ever had together. I was looking at my blog post from the past uh, before this interview and actually our first interview where you've been my guest as well was published in September 2016. That's crazy. Yeah, time flies. Yeah, quite some history. But first, tell us a little bit about you, what you did and how you've gotten into entrepreneurship, and especially for this podcast, why you did it. So I was always excited and, uh, and thought that, you know, school and, and university can only teach you so much, you have to just, you know, get up and, and do something about it. And, and I found that, you know, whichever job I could possibly get, it, it just wouldn't actually be rewarding enough to, to, to actually do it. And so I just, you know, had very little money. In, in my pocket just after graduating university and I said you know what I, I'd rather be poor but happy than work for somebody else and in reality I, I basically never had a job before and just you know went after it and I decided to you know try out my, my own luck I see try out your own luck so was this like uh, you went to high school you went to college and then you graduated and then you thought oh now I want to be an entrepreneur or did you do something like entrepreneurial before that sure yeah I mean so when I, when I was 12 13 I was actually selling quite expensive uh, Nike sneakers Nike SBs and, and, and Jordans I mean some people listening will probably know the hype around all that and uh or dunks and stuff like that and you know just kind of buying low selling high and so ever, ever since really i was a kid i was really excited about actually just doing something that, that creates value for people but and you know essentially also makes them happy but uh but it's also rewarding for me right and i always wanted to be an owner not necessarily somebody who's renting their time and oftentimes that when, when you work for somebody you're, you're renting your time right just getting collecting that salary at the end of the month And I said, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather put in the same amount of effort that I put in for somebody else I'd rather do for myself. So that was kind of my first touch with entrepreneurship at 12, 13. Then I went out, tried to start a company at 19, raised half a million. That didn't work out well. We had to shut the business down. And then I finished university, uh, moved to Berlin with basically not much or, or better said with nothing. And uh, I said, you know what, if I could do that at 19, I could probably do it at 22. And we, you know, I, I sat down with my, Penta co-founder, who's also my, my index co-founder, and we said, hey, why don't we, why don't we actually, you know, help small business owners save a lot of time and money uh, by giving them a bank account that actually works. And that was my last venture. And that was when we met. I was wondering, did your family think you're totally crazy? You first had a venture that did not work out. Of course, it's completely understandable that you want to start it again, but then actually relocate to even another continent, to a country where you don't necessarily speak the language. What was kind of the feedback you've gotten there? Yeah, sure. 
up until maybe two years into into building into building Penta, my my father would still call me, ask me when I'm going to go to law school. Just totally didn't, just didn't believe in it. But I was one of my friends just always says, you know, Luca's life, Luca's rules. So I I, uh, I just live my life and my rules. Admittedly, I can't imagine you as a lawyer. No, <laughs> definitely not. That's a very big stretch of my imagination. I have to tell you, when you thought about doing Penta, what were your thoughts there and how did you prepare? Because this is all about entrepreneurship and starting successful ventures. So let's dig a little bit into your secret sauce, how you built up Penta, which was eventually bought by Finleap, another uh, Berlin-based company incubator turned investor yeah i mean j just to just the, the buying part I, i think that that was a bit of a pr mix-up we actually never got bought by uh by Finland. that was more just a funding round um the company has actually went on to raise over over 70 million venture capital the last round i think was close to a 30 million series b so it, it, it never was an acquisition but rather an investment but in terms of in terms of the the secret sauce so first of all i've been reading books my whole life and a lot of them and I started reading a lot of business books when I was 14, 15 and it's really been you know five, six years of reading a lot of books you know one or two books per week at, at some point and when I when I first went out I mean, together with my with my co-founders to you know to figure things out in, in reality at that point it was only two of us we sat down and we said hey let's let's speak to 20, 30, you know, 50 small business owners to better understand some of the problems that they're dealing with. And what we did was very simple. We didn't write any code. We didn't, you know, spend any crazy money marketing. We didn't try to raise money. What we did, we built a really simple landing page. Uh, and it basically said, hey, we're building the best business bank account. Uh, if you're interested, leave your email address. You couldn't even scroll on it. And then we went, you know, we went on Twitter and then liked random people's tweets We liked up to actually it was 17,000 tweets at that point. So at some point, I was just standing for six hours, you know, sitting in my room, clicking, you know, liking and retweeting and, and direct messaging people 17,000 times, if not more. And basically, based on that, we were just getting feedback from people and speaking to people. And, and our goal was if we can get 100 people to sign up for the wait list without building any code, then, you know, everything else will take care of itself. So the, the next thing that happened is we applied for a incubator accelerator, which is called Startup Bootcamp. And uh, with our initial traction, we were able to raise our first you know, small amount of money. It was 15,000 euros. And then one thing led to the next, and, uh, and yeah, there you go today. You already gave me an answer I would have asked for right now, because many startups, many entrepreneurs, they, they basically fail at the first step. So you did a very good step by interviewing your potential clients. I can think of a lot of people who did not do that. And then you build a landing page. Actually, there, there's now a lot of stuff out there uh, where you have like toolboxes where you can build eight landing pages for something like $15 a year. So it doesn't have to be expensive. You said you went around, liked and retweeted on Twitter, which is a good approach. But with the new algorithm, will you still think that this would work and what else would you right now try to get the first interactions to get the first likes to get the first sign ups for this and another question uh, you said like 70,000 likes and retweets or something and how many sign ups 
did this get you? So the point of the liking and the, it was 17, by the way, but not 70, 70 is a, a bit too much, but we were just, you know, we were just trying to do everything to get noticed. Um, and that was, that was primarily the goal, right? We didn't know what we were doing. We just knew that, hey, let's get initial traction. Let's build the wait list. Let's validate before building or even raising money. And then everything else will take care of itself, include, including, you know, getting customers and second, most importantly, getting investors. First, the most important thing is, is customers. But did those likes and retweets, you know, generate customers? I, I'd probably say no, but it, de- it definitely did give us the opportunity to, you know, to get in touch with people to, you know, to help us essentially build out the product. But, you know, even today with my new company, Index Health, which is a personalized uh, healthcare company based in the U.S., we also haven't written a line of code yet. We, we do have customers in the middle um, and we're growing. And pretty quickly, it's, it's just more of a question of that we just try to have as much low tech as possible because so we can focus more on actually understanding the customer, understanding what exactly to build, uh, getting to product market for a better set, getting to the point where we're comfortable to scale. And then writing code is easy. A lot of founders think that, hey, I'm going to start my company. I'm just going to start writing code. And these days, just writing code has just really never been easier. It's more about what are you going to build instead of just going out there and building it. So we're taking that approach. Yes, exactly. That's also something I found very useful. And it's something that is kind of underrepresented in the usual startup media, because then there are like people sitting there for days and nights and weeks and months and writing code. And then bam, it's successful. But actually, I met a few people who did that and this BAM success never really happened. So this validation of the idea is a very important point. Talk to as many potential clients as possible. In Germany, you always get, oh, they'll steal my idea. They'll steal my idea. But I also realized something, especially in interviews with my other podcast, because it's always good if you can point to a successful competitor that is already getting funding, that is already getting traction, and you can say, well, I'm as good as them, and I do this and this and this better, and I have here a different opportunity, and so on and so forth. For example, I remember a Book Tiger interview I did, which is a home cleaning service, and that was also helping their competitor, and actually they helped each other because they were both successful. They both showed the business model is actually working. And then eventually Bucatago went more into corporate business and uh, started cleaning buildings and offices and something like this. So talk to the people early. And if you get competition, it doesn't have to be necessarily bad, even though uh, competition also keeps you on your toes. I think there's a lot more you can add to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd actually like to say that competition is probably the best thing that can happen because then you know that it works. And oftentimes it's actually good to get compared because you know how to position yourself. When, when you don't have competition, you're just completely lost in the dark. Uh, customers may not know what you're building, what you're not building. Raising money becomes uh, inevitably more difficult because everybody's not sure what this is going to work or not. It's a completely new idea. So, you know, when, when I speak to founders and saying like, oh, you know, we have no competition, it's immediately a red flag. Yes, I know. Uh, for example, I had an interview guest. Uh, he founded a digital health insurer called Otto Nova. 
and he said for his fundraising it was extremely important that Oscar in the US did it successfully. They proved the model to be right they could get funds raised with that and that actually helped him i really like that quote if you don't have competition that's red flag i think you're always good for some amazing quotes here (laughs) (laughs) um but let's get a little bit back to uh when you like to read books what would be the books you would strongly recommend to aspiring on new entrepreneurs I would definitely start off with biographies of people that, you know, look, look up to or aspire to be, right? I think it's always good to have some sort of mental framework of, you know, where do you want to get to? I hope that, I think that gives direction to people, especially young people, because, you know, I, when I, when I just started building stuff, I was, I was a teenager basically and, and it tend to happen when I was 22. And I'm 28 today, right? So I'm, I'm looking at it from kind of a, you know, very young person's perspective. So definitely biographies. The one book that changed my way of thinking and that really rules the whole industry is the, the Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Everybody says they've read it and heard about it, but nobody really, you know, implements it properly. So I'd suggest reading that to basically anybody. Another really good book is, is uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. I think it's a good understanding of how, you know, how, how the world works in terms of marketing, PR, and, and what gets attention and what doesn't. But I would, you know, I would start off with two, those two or three books and a couple of biographies. And then what I would normally do is that I would pick those books out that they're mentioning. And that kind of gives me a entrance into, into other books, ideas, and, and people that I find really, really interesting, inspiring, and that teach me things. And I also found that a lot of successful entrepreneurs also uh, like uh, the big thinkers philosophy. Uh, for example, if I don't forget it, I'll share here in the show notes. There is an interview uh, where Brad Feld is interviewed, one of the co-founders of Techstars VC and so on and so forth on the Daily Stoic, where they talk about uh, Friedrich Nietzsche and stoic philosophy and stuff like that so i think it's it's really important in many different aspects to build as you said a mental framework that is also a lot of entrepreneurs are talking about Uh, can you give us a little peek into your mental framework yeah, sure. I, and, and by the way, my WhatsApp photo is Nietzsche. As you know, obviously, you have my WhatsApp. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that, that's, I'm a huge fan. I study philosophy as well in, in, uh, in university. But my mental framework, I actually haven't thought of that. It's more that, you know, what's very important for me is that, and, and I'm sure everybody can relate, people live very much in the future, scared about what's going to happen, kind of that anxiety about that, and then regrets in the past, or, you know, at least thinking about the past. And my, you know, what's very important for me is to be in the present. Just really just being here and now in this very moment, I think that's, that's extremely important, especially in building a business, because it can get quite scary. You get a lot of anxiety about a lot of things. I also meditate twice a day, or at least I try to, but I do meditate at least once a day. And so that kind of helps put me in that framework. But I, I'd say that it all circles down to just being here and now. And that helps control essentially, you know, how you're thinking, what you're focused on. I feel like a lot of people won't find that very helpful as advice. You know, it's not like, you know, Steve Jobs be a perfectionist or whatever it is. And Steve Jobs is also, if, if you actually read a lot of his biographies, it was also to be very much in the moment. And so I just think it's just very important to be stoic. Ironically, you mentioned that. So unemotional here in the moment and, uh, and just kind of understanding your own fears and insecurities and, uh, and long-term intentions. In addition to that, I think very long-term. 
I try to at least. I'm always thinking, you know, what's true in 10 years from now. A good example is in 10 years from now, will there be more electric cars or, uh, you know, engines on, on the road, right? And, and so just thinking about these types of, types of things, whether it's technology or, you know, how does medicine look like in 10 years from now, right? Banking, whatever it is, it's really just putting yourself in a very long-term perspective. And, and mindset. And if you don't, and you're just optimizing for the short term, you're inevitably going to lose. I actually hear also quite frequently about meditation. I have to admit that I use a meditation app almost every evening. I do it when I'm already in bed and do a relaxation uh, meditation just to calm me down and then I listen a little bit to the audiobook and boom I'm gone so that helped me a lot and I only discovered it in my 30s so I wish I would have done it much much earlier I think a lot of the benefits are totally fine but for me it was like I was feeling 90% less stressed that was just amazing for me. So we took from you now, talk to your clients. You don't need a lot of money to start your startup. When you do it, build a mental framework, read a lot of books and meditate. I would be curious, one of my interview guests said he is writing basically rules down and then realizes, then over time follows them and he then realizes if they need adjustments or if they okay. So that is a way of him building a mental framework just for himself. It doesn't have to be necessarily Gibbs rules. I think there's 70 something out there, but do you also do something in that way? Not exactly like that. I mean, definitely, you know, some sort of reflection. I think that's, it's something that you think about every day. I mean, as a company, we have retros. I'm often thinking about writing things down, but I think the most important Because I, I, it's just kind of adding to what you just asked and what I previously said is that it's the, the most important thing actually above meditation, being here now, et cetera, all that stuff is surrounding yourself with some really great people who are, you know, who are very positive, who, who, uh, who help bring you up. And even if you have, you have a trade off with, with somebody who's, you know, let's say good at what they do, but is extremely positive and great versus somebody who's, who's great at what they do but is very negative and just not helpful always choose the, the good one because that person can actually can actually you know strive and actually change to actually be great right and I think that, that the number one thing that's actually screwed me up when you know when doing anything whether it's a you know a friendship or building a business it's it's been around the people that I surround myself with and that that's really something that's so detrimental to actually your life right and and I've actually taken people out of my life that that have been detrimental but I have been very negative and, and who have been bringing me down and uh, and I just try to surround myself with people that I know that are just going to bring me up more positive and you know and I can, I can obviously do the same vice versa so I think in terms of reflecting I think I'm always reflecting you know who am I around you know you're the average of the five people that you're around whether that's a book a TV show or, or a physical person right and so I my, my five average I always try to surround myself with with super smart, positive, and, uh, and helpful people or books. I see, I see. I just try to imagine myself uh, what I would be if I take really the average of those five people, especially taking into account that we just more or less getting out of corona so it will be uh quite a lot of my two-year-old son <laughs> 
uh, that would be pretty interesting to have a composite there. I'm also wondering, because we're now talking a lot about business, a lot about doing business, and you already started kind of opening the door to other parts of the life. So do you have, for example, some rules you established for working and not working? Because as you said, you're taking a very long-term view. And something I realized when I set out by myself to be an entrepreneur that I have to think in terms of not until the next vacation, but maybe I have to be uh, healthy, relaxed, and on the top of my game until maybe end of next year. So I already have to plan accordingly my work hours, my vacation, that I also take vacation. Also establish private rules. For example, I don't work on the weekends. I don't look into my emails on the weekends. That is one of my personal rules already. Do you also have some, let's call it limits, limitation on work? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I, I was guilty of not having any rules previously. And I, you know, I just worked those 12 hours, 15, whatever it is, right? And, and then just be burned out, you know, a month later. So, so I, I definitely didn't have any rules before. And going into my building my new company index, I decided that, that I'm going to have actually very strict rules. Because, you know, that, I'd say the number one rule is definitely, you know, understanding, understanding, you know, why you do these things. You know, oftentimes, you know, I was driven by fear or, you know, insecurities were kind of just looking at the runway and saying, oh, we have to work harder or whatever it is, right? Speaking about it in Penta, right? But in, in my new company index, it's just a different perspective where it's like, I try to take off a week per quarter. If it's not a week, then I'll take off two or three days, you know, here, two or three days there. So it kind of adds up. Work hours wise, I, I don't have a, some sort of set limit, but it, generally I'm, I'm working from like nine to six, nine to seven. And or even, yes, basically something, something like that. And, uh, it's, I think it's just more about understanding your limits, but we, we definitely push all employees in the company to take a week off per, per quarter and, and just to, you know, make way for, for certain things that help, help your health, right? So we have OKRs and goals actually set where you have to have your own, like health goals. I, I just think those those things are just so important. A lot of the times founders and founding teams especially are gonna compromise on things like that. But if your if your mind isn't clear, uh, and if you're not if you don't have a healthy body, then you just can't have a healthy mind. And so we definitely prioritize things like that. I mean my number one rule is really just surrounding myself with great people and then and just being cautious about how I work and and uh, what I work into. So that I don't keep essentially the same mistakes. So yeah, I definitely do have some sort of I also realized when I started out almost a year ago that in the beginning I was always pushing very, very hard, uh, working until midnight like two or three days a week, which was pretty convenient because I could just walk out and get into my bed. But then I realized it takes you quite some time until you come down from the adrenaline and can actually get rest, which also made me realize that I can't do this because it limits my sleep further. Plus, I didn't have enough time on the weekends to really recover, which then led me to being sick. So I'm really trying to limit late work hours to one day a week. That's, for example, another of my rules. And everybody is now strongly encouraged to also 
think about that. I really, really like the rule. What you're saying, like uh, taking off one week a quarter or some days a quarter, that is a very important rule. Actually, what I do, I stick to my wife's uh, vacation schedule because she is still employed and that makes it quite easy to always take the right amount of vacation. That helped me a lot. But let me skip a little bit here, uh, touch another topic because you said in your company you have OKR rules, personal health goals, and you encourage your employees to take one week off per quarter. Can you talk a little bit about what other rules you have and how this fits into the company culture? Because that's something I found very interesting, even though it's not completely new to startups, but to have this combined in a bigger system, not only to say, yeah, work-life balance is very important for me. Oh, by the way, can you work through the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we're just always encouraging things like that. So if we see that, you know, sometimes you can't do it. So that's uh, it's also the reality of having a small team, deliberately small, right? And, and making a decision saying, hey, we don't want to hire additional people. But at the same time, you know, we just try to push people to, you know, take the afternoon off, go to the gym, and everybody has their goals. This is something that we track over time. Too many rules is just too many rules, right? And and some rules are, are just if they're not being followed, then they're not rules anymore. And so it, it, at the end of the day, it's 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 also up to people to follow their own rules and, and actually want to do it, right? You can't force anybody to take time off, but you could tell somebody like, hey, you know, one take a day off here, two days there. So yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's up to the person, right? And and that's also going back to you know hiring people who who are not only smarter than you, but who also just understand the point, right? So if these people aren't, you know, conscious enough that, you know, they have to take some time off, go to the gym, or, you know, do what they have to do to stay stay mentally and physically fit, then, um, then you know, nobody can help them. Is this also a question for hiring people for you? Do you regular work out or something like that? Or is it just an encouragement after you've hired those people? Both, definitely. I mean... You know, we're very small now. What is that going to look like in a year from now? <laughs> I have no idea, but you know, it's, uh, it's something that we're, that we do interview for actually. So when we're speaking to candidates, we ask them, you know, how do you look at health? We are a health company at the end of the day, right? So if you're not passionate about, you know, not only helping people, you know, improve their health, but, you know, changing what, what health really means, uh, then, you know, we're, we're probably not the right company to work at. So it's our culture is also what we do, right? So if you don't if you don't kind of resonate with with our mission and, and you know the values that we have as as a company and, and the goals that we have then <laughs> then you know you should probably get a job elsewhere. Uh, you you just touched a, another important point I wanted to talk about with you is hiring people. I already talked to a lot of HR managers, uh, headhunters on podcasts offline and stuff like this, but. I always see, especially in startups, the importance of the first hires, especially those people you don't know for like a few years, people that you've never met before that you have to hire. They're actually crucial to your company's success. How did you approach hiring the first people for your small team there. Is there something like a guideline, a books, some rules you're following or just gut feeling? 
Yeah, I mean, Brandex, now I have the luxury that I have a pretty strong network and, and, and I know quite a, quite a lot of people. So, you know, whether it's through friends or family or whatever it is. So I, I think with, with hiring now, it was a bit easier. But it definitely does come down to gut, to, to gut right, into intuition. It's understanding what is this person's goals and intentions. And it, it just, you know, it, it's a much, much more different profile hiring for early stage pre-seed and seed company than when you hire somebody for a series A or series B company, right? The employee profile is completely different. And so, you know, I, I remember, you know, basically at series A, series B, you have people, you know, talking about their pension and, and thinking about, you know, social security and all that type of stuff while people at seed understand that, you know, the salary is going to be, you know, small. But a potential upside is, is going to be a huge. So uh, it's it, it's a different type of hustle. It, it's it's really just a different type of profile. And so yeah, I mean that that I just based basically on my on my experience and, and my intuition. When you said you hire people differently for pre seed seed than for Series A Series B, I was wondering how do you deal with the people you still have from pre seed seed that may or may not fit then in the company that just shows with time you know some people and ben horowitz is uh the hard thing about hard things he addresses that as well it's kind of like you know you hire somebody today but then they're like oh but will they be able to you know to go ipl or you know series b or, or scale a team to, to 100 employees or whatever it is and i think that's it's such an irrelevant question it's like this person should be able to tackle the problems at hand uh today you know today and tomorrow not in six months or six years from now and so when, when looking at these people you know either they make it or they don't right but that's more for them to see and something that they'll realize on their own and that the company will just see so it, it it has little to do with predicting the future and more to do with can this person tackle the problem right now uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I once heard the quote that forecasts are always difficult, especially concerning the future. So you're not the only one there. And definitely, if you would have figured out uh, how to forecast a lot of stuff, we wouldn't be talking right now here. You would reside in your own country. So <laughs> I think, Luca, so far you've talked about your rules, recommendation of books, early startup companies, hiring people, your own philosophy, and a little bit including health goals in a company, now OKR. So I would like to say thank you very much. We touched a lot of topics and everybody who'd like to learn more down here in the show notes, there will be a link to your LinkedIn profile where people can reach out and of course, learn more if they follow you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Completely my pleasure. Thank you very much.